Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. On a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere, they go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building, and to work with sports-based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at League Apps com or as league apps on all of the social networks now here's the host of the show longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of united soccer coaches dean linky i am dean linky this is the united soccer coaches podcast it is presented by league apps and we have another diverse outstanding show today it's veterans day on saturday and tomorrow Garen Taylor Tyree, who chairs the Veterans Active Military and Affiliates Community under United Soccer Coaches, will have a very special webinar at 3 o'clock, a Veterans Day presentation. And Garen Taylor Tyree has on today a man who played soccer at the Air Force for Louis Segastumi, Lucas Tickner, who's the media and communications man for the veterans, active military, and affiliates community. Luke Tickner is a coach now in the Washington, D.C. area, and he's all in, and he'll tell you all about what's happening tomorrow, one day before Veterans Day, and would love to see a lot of you get involved and join that webinar. Right after him, we continue our weekly look at the diploma being offered at the United Soccer Coaches Convention this January, led by former CEO of United Soccer Coaches, Joe Cummings, the diploma is called Modern Club Administration and Management. There's nine sessions. Two of the sessions are called Creating Club Culture. That one will be on Thursday. Another one called Club Daily Strategic Planning and Execution. That'll be on Friday. The two people picked to run those two sessions, Scott Wollaston, the CEO for North Carolina Fusion, and Sarah Bridgens, the Chief Experience Officer for NC Fusion. Scott Wollaston and Sarah Bridgens are on the show. Last week, Lincoln Phillips, headed in the Hall of Fame, was on. This week, Dr. Joe Macknick, headed in to the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame, is on. And then we end with Jonathan Morgan, the associate head coach of the Tennessee women's soccer team. They have made the 64-team tournament They'll open up against Xavier this weekend. That's our show, and it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, Lee Gaps. We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created Lee Gaps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform, so you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. Once again, here's the host of the show, Dean Linky. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. I am Dean Linky and as you know, I always have the door open for all of the amazing advocacy communities within United Soccer Coaches. Not that long ago, under the kind of leadership and guidance of Garen Taylor Tyree, they formed the Veterans Active Military and Affiliates Community, and Garen Taylor Tyree is the chair. He told me then, and he's told me a couple other times on the podcast, he has some big-time people working for him and working within this soccer community. Well, listen... 
Saturday is the official Veterans Day, and tomorrow the Veterans Active Military and Affiliates community will have a Veterans Day presentation that we're going to break down. And to what I said earlier, one of those great people that he is proud to push forward is Luke Tickner, who is the VAMA's Director of Media and Communication, here to talk about his history and then also to talk about tomorrow's presentation. So with that, Luke Tickner, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Dean. Super excited to be here. This is an exciting time of the year for veterans with Veterans Day coming up and being a part of the VAMA group and getting things up and running here has just been awesome. So really glad to be here and be able to talk a little bit with you today. Yeah, well, we're glad to have you. And anytime Garen has anybody, please tell him that the door is open on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Now, listen, before we dive into what's going to be a really big day tomorrow for the Veterans Active Military and Affiliates Coaches community with this presentation. I'd like to know a little bit about you, Luke, because clearly you're a veteran as well, and you also must love soccer in some way as well. Can you you know, go into a little detail about your background for us, please? Sure. I'm an Air Force veteran, served six years uh, on active duty after graduating from the Air Force Academy. actually played soccer there for four years, started out. I wasn't a four-year varsity player, but I was there with the team all four years, playing as a freshman and JV, and then ultimately getting some time on the varsity team. And then I've just stayed with soccer ever since and loved it. Even while I was in service, as I moved around from base to base, there's always a base soccer team there and where you can link up and find like-minded folks. Did that, got out in uh, 2006. And you know, once I started having kids, got into coaching and just fell in love with it. And I've been doing that for over 10 years now. Awesome. So you are actually coaching with a soccer club or where are you coaching, Luke? So right now I coach with Lee Mount Vernon Sports Club, which is one of our United Soccer Coaches member clubs. I've been affiliated with that club for years now since my oldest was little. She started there and uh, we've just had a great experience with the club there. Well, I want to thank you for that. But more importantly, with Veterans Day around the corner, I want to thank you for your service. I also want to tell you that I lived in Colorado Springs so I'm thinking, were you out in Colorado Springs at the Air Force Academy? Is that where you were? Yeah, that's correct. So I was there 96 to 2000. Can you just remind people how spectacular that is out there? Because it is one of the most beautiful places in the world. Uh, my youngest was asking me to show her some pictures. And I, and I found some old soccer pictures from when I was playing out there. And she says, that's the view you had while you were playing soccer? Because you're right at the foot of the mountains. And it's just breathtaking, awesome scenery, a beautiful place to be, really cold and windy, but a lot of fun. And we always joked, man, because we're up high at altitude and, you know, guys would come out to play us there. And we said, we we're just going to run them out of town because we were used to the the altitude. So it was a lot of fun playing there. Awesome experience to go to school there and really glad I got to do that. And I also want people to realize that to be an athlete and be out there in the Air Force and really to do anything outside of the focus of the Air Force, it always blew my mind. I went out there a lot. And, you know, look, I know I can tell you're a humble guy, but can you just before we dive into this presentation, can you just talk about that kind of commitment? Because it is big, right? Yeah, it is. Because just being there as a as a cadet, as a, a student at school, you've got a ton of commitments. All your military commitments, I jokingly tell folks, it was the best thing for me because I couldn't skip class, right? I had to show up to class. There was no 
sleeping in. But you had things you had to do after school. You had things to do in, in the evenings that were all military-related events. And then on top of that, now you're playing a, an intercollegiate Division One sport. That's its, a whole commitment unto itself. So trying to balance those, it would get challenging for sure. But really, it was it was awesome. I know looking back, I'm still, you know, still talk to my friends from the soccer team there guys we went to school with and it's just it's a wonderful community even here living in outside of dc playing in men's league sometimes we'll need players and i've got this group of alumni from the air force academy that i can reach out to and hey we need a player to show up on sunday night can anybody come and you get some great guys that come out and participate so managing both playing sports and going to school there was a lot but well worth it for sure Great to have the passion of Luke Tickner, the VAMA's Director of Media and Communication. Tomorrow, they have a huge Veterans Day presentation through United Soccer Coaches that we're going to dive in. And then, as all of us should know, that Veterans Day is officially observed on November 11th. Hopefully, there'll be parades and celebrations in your area. So one more question before we dive into what's happening tomorrow, and that is... In your own words, the importance of Veterans Day and all of us, whether we are in the military or not in the military, realizing the importance. Luke, can you put it in your own words? Yeah. So for me, when I think about Veterans Day, you know, we're celebrating and recognizing the service of others, right? People who have raised their hand and say, I want to do something that's greater than myself. And that selflessness and service before self, those characteristics to me are things that are really important. And I love being able to tie things into soccer. And when I talk to, you know, one of the things when I talk to my team about, I, we'll talk about playing selflessly and being selfish and selfless. Now, when you have Veterans Day here, we can bring that in and, and say, look, here's a group of people who have committed to something greater than themselves, right? If they can do that, we can do it too, right? And it gives us that opportunity to not only recognize folks, and like you said, you know, tell folks that, you know, thank you for your service, but really say, how can we learn from what they've done and what they're doing to improve ourselves too? That's one of the important aspects of it is, you know, how do we, how do we bring it back and recognize them, but what can we take from it as well to make ourselves better? All right. So here we go. The Veterans Active Military and Affiliates VAMA Coaches Community is now inviting everybody listening, everybody that's out there to commemorate Veterans Day with a short but thoughtful and interactive presentation designed to honor those who are serving and have served the country and this beautiful game. And it's tomorrow. So please fill in all the blanks. Tell us as much as you can. How do people get involved? Is it a Zoom? What is it exactly? Okay. Yeah, we're going to do a Zoom call. What we've got is several veterans who are also coaches that we're bringing together to do like a small panel event where we're going to really talk about what was our service and how are we bringing those experiences of serving the country in the military into coaching, right? And into onto the soccer field and what are those connections? And we want to give folks the opportunity to hear from veterans who are now coaching or, or, or doing things in, in the sport today that how they've made that transition. One of the things we're trying to do with the VAMA is really to support future prospective coaches who might be service members, maybe veterans, and helping them look at what are those transition points and connections. And so this is just another opportunity for us to build on that and help to grow that. The other thing we're going to talk about is we've been working to put together 
some resources for coaches. So one of the things we wanted to do was for coaches that are out there that say, I don't even know where to start on Veterans Day, how to talk to my team about it, right? Even as a veteran, it's tough. How do you deal with various age groups, boys, girls, and now I'm going to talk to them about something that's as big as as veterans, right? And and has a lot of meaning. How do we do that? So what we wanted to do is kind of bring that down to something manageable for coaches. And each year, the Department of Veterans Affairs actually puts out a teacher's resources guide every year that something schools can use. So we took that, full disclosure, they put a lot of it together. We're going we're gonna to use it and run with it. Um, but we really pared it down to something that coaches can use and tailored it for coaches that to give you ideas or for activities or discussions that you can have to recognize Veterans Day and those who have served. When you think about it as coaches, you may or may not know that you've got players who have a family member, a parent, a sibling, uh, extended family who have served or are serving. How do we you know, make those connections with those players and think about players who might have a parent that's deployed right now? And we want to make sure we're acknowledging for those families that, hey, we recognize that you're here and you're going through this. We might have coaches that just want to speak about their service to veterans or talk about Veterans Day and why it's important. So we tried to bring all of that stuff together in one resource for coaches to use that you so you can have that discussion with your teams and families. And that's something that's a work in progress, but we're going to get that out to folks as well as having that panel discussion to kind of just chat a little bit about our experiences and how we got to the places where we are today coaching. The presentation is tomorrow, 3 p.m. Eastern time. That's 3 p.m. Eastern time. You can learn more about connecting to the Zoom by going where, Luke? Where can people find that Zoom to get involved tomorrow at 3 o'clock? We've got it posted on our various social media channels. So we've got a VAMA account on Facebook, a VAMA account on Instagram, VAMA on, on X, formerly Twitter. So you can go to any of those and we'll have the information linked there for you. I'm going to go ahead and give the meeting ID as well. Is that okay, Luke? Can I give that yes, out? Yes, please. That'd be great. All right. It's 851-8828-3827. That's 851-8828-3827. And then the passcode will be 684051. That's 684051. Again, Garen Taylor Tyree, the Veterans Active Military and Affiliates Chair, will kick things off. And then after introducing one of the most riveting stories from World War I, the audience will engage in conversation about the intersection of football and armed conflict. Then the VMA's Director of Media and Communication, that's who we're with now, Luke Tickner, will introduce the Mindful Messaging Campaign, which is meant to give coaches without military backgrounds relevant talking points when discussing holidays like Veterans Day and addressing difficult topics like deployments and combat injuries with young players. What was behind the name, the Mindful Messaging Campaign? I like that name. We just wanted to make sure that we're taking the time as coaches to to spend that time to think about what are we talking about? What's important? How do we communicate that with our players, right? Lots of times we show up at the field and it's right into practice. We're moving, start warming up, get into the drills. But it's important every now and then to take that take that time and say, hey, what's what are we really doing here, right? Yes, we're learning soccer, but we're we're learning to be good people. And and here's some ways uh, a way that coaches can bring that in. It gives you using Veterans Day and veterans as a mechanism to bring those topics up with your team. I do want to tell you that if for some reason you cannot make this three o'clock webinar tomorrow, again November tenth, 
that later that evening, a video will be uploaded to the VAMA Facebook page for those unable to participate in real time. Comments, questions, and suggestions for next year's event are welcome and should be sent to the VAMA Chair Garen Taylor Tyree via communities, that's spelled out communities, at unitedsoccercoaches.org. I want to just go over the vision statement and the mission statement and get you to just kind of comment on it. I'll read the vision statement and then let you kind of add on in your own words what that means to you. The United Soccer Coaches, Veterans, Active Military, and Affiliates, VAMA Coaches Community, will serve as the central conduit for the association to engage and support current and prospective members who are either one or more of the following. One, a military veteran. Two, serving on active duty, the reserves, or the National Guard. Three, related to someone serving or has served in the armed forces, which Luke already touched on. A friend of someone serving or has served in the armed forces. Enrolled in a military academy or military school. Affiliated with a military support organization. And any ally of the military or those who serve in it. The only disclaimer is membership in the VAMA is limited to those with honorable general and medical discharges. That covers a large area, which I think is important when you're building in a community like this, Luke. It is. You talked about we've got folks who are in the military or have served as well as those who are affiliated, right? And why that's important, I believe that's important. For those who have served, it's not just an it's not an individual thing that you do, right? The community's there with you. So when I was in the Air Force, it wasn't just me serving, but my wife was serving along with me. My kids are serving along with me, right? My neighbors who are helping when I get deployed and they're coming and helping my family, they're serving along with me. Um, so when we think about this group, we want to help all of those folks, right? That's why we included the the affiliates, right? We said, just because you didn't serve doesn't mean you can't be part of our community because you already are part of our community, right? Those folks already are serving with our veterans and we want them to be part of this group as well. So that's really why we had that broad look of, of who we wanted to include in the group. We're here with Luke Tickner, the media and communications top man for the strategic leadership team for the VAMA, which will have this special presentation tomorrow, Friday, three o'clock via Zoom. He's already told you, how to find it, but we'll end our conversation a little bit and have him tell it again. I want to hit the mission statement now and kind of get your reflection on what that means to you. The mission statement, it says VMA members will use the servant leadership style they were taught in the military to further the ethical coaching style embraced by United Soccer Coaches. They will employ the lessons they have learned, are still learning, or will soon learn in the military to be, quote, force multipliers, end quote, as communicators decision makers, creative thinkers, risk assessors, and problem solvers for coaches everywhere. That's powerful. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it's tough to, what do you add to that, right? Like we, we put a lot of time pulling that together to try and hit all the key points. And I think we did a good job. I'll build on it a little bit by just saying, you know, as you look at those connections between military service and coaching, the connections there are abundant, right? We look at things like, building high-performing teams, managing personnel, creating resilience, working through adversity. On a daily basis, our service members are encountering challenging situations where they're having to work together, work with others, 
people from diverse backgrounds, different perspectives, and find solutions to that. And when we look at that and say, you know, as a advocacy group, what are the things we want to do? We want to bring that to coaching, right? As coaches, what do we do? We coach training sessions, we coach games, but we're also looked at to lead the team, to lead the player, to manage the environment. These are tasks that require us to do things like knowing how to build strong, effective, high-performing team, right? Knowing how to bring a diverse group of people together to achieve a common goal. The skills that we learn in, in service, you can really bring to coaching, and we want to help folks do that in, in support of United Soccer Coaches and continuing to provide opportunities for, for folks to give back, right? That's one of the big things here. So I think the crossover between serving in the military and making that decision and then serving as a coach and making that decision, there's a lot, of, a lot that we can do to make that crossover effective for folks and to support people that are in, that, in the soccer community hey, we're just going to get better if we've got access to these military members and veterans who can bring those skill sets to the coaching ranks. Reminding you, Veterans Day is Saturday, yet tomorrow, 3 o'clock, a very special Veterans Day program, 3 o'clock Zoom. Again, we'll tell you at the end of our time with Luke Tickner, who heads up media and communications for the newly formed VAMA, where you find out more about that Zoom one more time. Now, on top of being the lead for communication and media, Garen Taylor Tyree very astutely describes you as the lead sled dog for the messaging campaign that we just talked about, and you kind of broke it down. But essentially what you're trying to do is give coaches without military backgrounds some tools to have meaningful conversations with their players about Veterans Day, military service, maybe even Memorial Day, and truly understanding the importance of our veterans. You know, we kind of covered that earlier, but the way that was written by Garen Taylor Tyree is kind of spot on. Even me, you know, 55-year-old man doesn't know enough. I need to know know more. Uh, and there's a lot of people like me that probably want to know more, right? And now we kind of have this outlet in our safe space, which is soccer, right? So this is really cool. I say for us, one of the big things that we've talked about is we need to start by showing up, right? We're we're a new advocacy group. We're here. We need to start by by being present and letting folks know that we are here. We're ready to serve United Soccer Coaches. We're ready to serve soccer coaches out there across the country. And we want to demonstrate the benefits that our military community brings to this group. You know, I already mentioned coaching is also a selfless path. And, you know, as military members, I think we've raised our hand to serve others and are continuing to look for ways. And this is one of the ways we can do it. We want to take that inherent desire and bring it to soccer and bring it to this community as well. Well, I told Garen Taylor Tyree, and I'll tell you, Luke, that we want to do all we can at United Soccer Coaches to help the newly formed VAMA maintain momentum as we enter the last months before the convention. And hopefully it'll remind the audience listening right now to the United Soccer Coaches podcast that they do indeed have colleagues within United Soccer Coaches who are here to help them think through the remembrances or celebrations their teams or schools might want to plan for Veterans Day, Memorial Day on down the road. And with that, I know that uh, hopefully you'll have good representation at the convention, even better. I hope that we have decent representation tomorrow on the three o'clock Zoom. So Luke, before we say goodbye, as astutely and clearly as you can, tell everybody you can one more time about the Zoom, why they should join in and why it's going to make a difference. All right. Tomorrow, three o'clock. We're going to be getting together to talk about Veterans Day and host our first 
VAMA Veterans Day event. We're going to spend some time talking about what Veterans Day is. We're going to share some stories about Veterans Day that kind of bring it home. And then we're going to have a panel that'll talk about veterans who are going to talk about their service and how it's impacted and affected their coaching over the years. And it should be a fun event, you know, just a good time for us to get together. It's going to be a good inaugural event for us as the VAMA group. Luke Tickner with VAMA. He is part of the Strategic Leadership Group, heading up media and communications, and he will be a key part of tomorrow's 3 p.m. webinar. And he kicks off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast because, yeah, you heard it. Veterans Day is in just two days. Let's remember our veterans. Thanks for being with us, Luke. Do appreciate it. Hey, Dean, thank you very much. Appreciate the time and the opportunity to to, uh, talk with you here and share our story. And I'll reiterate what you said at the start. Thanks to all our, our veterans and service members out there for your service. Really appreciate all of you and everything you do. So thank you very much. We are just getting started. Coming up, we will take a deeper look at the diploma that will be going on at the convention in Anaheim this January, led by former United Soccer Coaches CEO Joe Cummings. It's called Modern Club Administration and Management. There are nine sessions as part of the diploma, and two of my favorites will be doing two of the sessions together. Scott Wallison, the Chief Executive Officer for North Carolina Fusion, and Sarah Bridgens, the Chief Experience Officer for the North Carolina Fusion, will break down two sessions, one on Thursday of the convention, January 11th, 11 a.m., called Creating Club Culture, one on Friday, January 12th at 9.15 a.m., called Club Daily Strategic Planning and Execution. Scott Wollaston and Sarah Bridgens, two of the great leaders from NC Fusion, when we return to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. The home of all coaches is headed to Anaheim, California. Join us at the 2024 United Soccer Coaches Convention, held January 10th through the 14th. For our first time on the West Coast in over five years, we're pulling out all the stops with brand new special topics diplomas, world-class presenters like Randy Waldrum and Carla Thompson, one-of-a-kind pop-ups, 200-plus education sessions, and so much more. Register now by going to unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. Register before December 14th to beat the price increase and join us in Anaheim. Welcome back to another exciting United Soccer Coaches podcast. When we went to break, I told you we're going to come back and talk about the exciting Modern Club Administration and Management Diploma that will take place as part of the United Soccer Coaches Convention in Anaheim, California, January 10 through 14, 2024. Joe Cummings, the former CEO of United Soccer Coaches, is kind of spearheading it, but he even said He can't do it without amazing people. And we meet two more amazing people that will be part of two sessions that will tie into the diploma. So they'll have two of the nine if you're keeping track. The first one's called Creating Club Culture. That'll be Thursday, January 11th, 11 a.m. We'll get into that in a moment with our two outstanding leaders of these sessions. And then on Friday, Club Daily Strategic Planning and Execution. That'll be Friday, January 12th at 9.15 a.m. So who's leading it? Well, I get lucky because one of them I consider a friend. I don't know if he considers me a friend, but I think he's one of the smartest men in soccer. I've told him that. I'll tell other people that when he's not around. So that means it's real. And that is Scott Wollaston, the chief executive officer for North Carolina Fusion, known around these parts as NC Fusion. You can learn more about their organization by going to ncfusion.org. Scott Wollaston, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thanks for having me on, Dean. And Sarah Bridgens, who is the chief experience officer also for the North Carolina Fusion. Again, 
Their website is ncfusion.org. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Appreciate you. Yeah, before we dive in, this is really important, this diploma that Joe Cummings is heading up. So important that we're going to cover it every week leading up to the convention. But Scott, first, tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us your elevator speech, and then I'd like Sarah to do the same thing. Sure. So I grew up in Pennsylvania, playing youth soccer there. And after uh, a good career around the Philadelphia region, I moved down to North Carolina to play at Elon University. Played for three years at Elon before uh, knee injuries took their toll on me. I guess I consider it a blessing because after some ACL tears, I was asked to start coaching as a senior at, at Elon, some local club teams, and ended up staying in the area, coaching for Burlington Soccer Club, Guilford United, Twin City Soccer, a number of other associations, as well as running some indoor soccer facilities in the Triad region. Was fortunate to get involved with Twin City Soccer in 2005 and have seen that organization grow all the way up till 2018 when Twin City and Greensboro United Soccer merged together to become NC Fusion. So I've been the executive director, now called CEO of NC Fusion since its inception in 2018. And it's been an awesome journey. Certainly have learned a ton, certainly have developed a lot of gray hair on my head from stress, but really enjoy what we're doing now as an organization. And I wouldn't say that I'm any more of an expert than anyone else, aside from the fact that just have had 20 plus years of experience in this and have had some highs and lows and good times and bad times. And, you know, definitely for the opportunity to speak at the convention, my hope is just that we can share some of the things that we've learned along the way that hopefully are are really helpful to others. And I also hope that we'll get an opportunity to meet a lot of people there that can share great ideas with us as well. And I think that's what these type of opportunities are all about. Well done. And I've heard you speak very highly about Sarah Bridges. So <laughs> now I hear from Sarah directly. Sarah, your elevator speech, please. Yeah. So I'm a native of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Grew up there, went off to college at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. A lifelong athlete, played many sports, soccer and basketball being my primary my primary gigs and um, went off and played at the club level at Carolina. I ended up going the teaching route for the, the start of my career. I taught for five years as an English teacher, coached um, soccer and basketball um, in the high school programs. Um, and then Scott caught wind of me, I guess is the best way to say that. Um, I was a Twin City soccer alum um, and I was working with a parent a, co a colleague who was a parent of the club at the time, um, back in gosh, 2013, it's been, this is my 10th year. So, um, I got connected with Scott and came in and started, um, running the rec program. I was the bookkeeper. I was coaching three teams and just kind of got fully thrown into the mix. Um, cause if you don't do all of the things in you sports, you're doing it wrong. So I did all of the things right up front. Um, and yeah, so 10 years now I've worn almost every hat most hats um, in the organization. Um, and it's been an experience and a journey. Um, and similarly, uh, just seeing the value and the impact that's possible um, in the youth sports platform is just an, a powerful thing. Um, and we're doing really important work um, as leaders in youth sports. And so, um, because we're creating something that's so valuable for kids for their lives. So, um, and parents as well. 
Um, so it's obviously uh, we're bringing coaches in, um, but administrators too, their work's just as important off the field as it is on. Um, and so we're big advocates for that. We're not doing everything right. Um, we're, we're kind of uh, fumbling along the way, if you will, but part of that is the process, right? Um, so we're getting better and we hope that um, we can glean wisdom from others um, in the same way. Well, I'm honored to be with both of you, Scott Wollaston, the CEO for NC Fusion and Sarah Bridgens, the chief experience officer who will be heading up two of the nine sessions for the diploma. The diploma, again, will be called Modern Club Administration and Management. It will take place during the convention in Anaheim. And before we dive into creating club culture, Scott Wollaston, look, when you get the call from United Soccer Coaches to be a part of a diploma, that's kind of a big deal, right? Can you just talk about what that means to you and Sarah? Obviously, super humbled to be asked to be a part of of the convention. I've been attending for many, many years and never really pictured myself being someone that would be sitting up on on stage in front of a lot of people. I will say that I enjoy kind of smaller environments than big presentation rooms, but at the same time, I've been privileged to have the opportunity to do that in a couple other settings, including the Club to Club Summit up at Seacoast United and down at the Club Summit hosted by Quick Goal in Orlando, Florida. So I've had some other opportunities like this. And um, again, you know, for me, I don't think that we have some uh, silver bullet that fixes all the issues and problems that we all face in new sports. All I can say is I think that we, Sarah and myself, have a ton of empathy for folks that are in this industry. We both, um, as Sarah kind of alluded to, she's coached and been bookkeeper and run the rec program and coached at a high level and played at a high level. And um, same for me, I've run, you know, did all those things, plus run tournaments, plus sell sponsorships, plus fundraise, plus, you know, led a, a big staff of people. And so um, I just think that, that we just have a lot of empathy for people that are involved in these sports because it's not easy and um, we all have to wear a ton of different hats. So hopefully I will say that we've, um, we've come a long way in the last specifically two and a half to three years. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit about how that's happened and why, but I would just say that now it's become incredibly enjoyable. And I think we really want to see people in our world, whether we're talking about coaches, directors of coaching, technical directors, or CEOs, executive directors, club administrators, really enjoying the experience and feeling like they're making an, a huge impact because if we don't if we don't really enjoy what we're doing if we don't um, feel like we're making a, a true difference it gets hard <laughs> it's a hard it's a hard lifestyle to be in youth sports so I'm thankful that I'm not saying that there won't be another really tough time for us every day we face face issues and have to solve problems but Overall, I just hope that maybe just by sharing some of our experiences, somebody in the crowd will go, oh, wow, that was something that I could really take back and use it at my club and, and really help make things a little bit better. And that's, I think, ultimately, if people are coming to the convention, you know, aside from all the parties and socials, I do think that in general, people are coming because they want to improve and they want to get better. So I'm excited about being in a room with a bunch of people that truly want to improve and, and get better. And so I would also say that to your initial question about Joe calling and asking me to be involved, you know, I called back only about a day or two later and said, look, I, I'm willing to do this, but I'm really only willing to do it if Sarah gets to come too. 
And there's a big reason for that. You know, you, you, you'll, the, the, our crowd will learn quite quickly. I mean, Sarah really runs the organization. I mean, we have, we have very distinct roles in that I'm kind of considered the visionary of the organization and Sarah is the integrator. And, and really what that means is that I'm, I'm always thinking about the big picture and uh, being able to spend time thinking about how we can further our mission, making sure that we're impacting more people. Um, and then Sarah's making sure that all this stuff that I'm talking about is actually happening with our membership. And she does an incredible job with our coaching staff and with uh, our overall staff, our families, our players. She understands the different stakeholders that are involved. And so I know that that's not something that I need, that I can take for granted, that I have someone like Sarah, that we are truly on the same page about mission and vision and values all the time. Doesn't mean that we agree with one another all the time on every single thing we do, but at the same time, we definitely work together well as a team. And I really feel like people, when they come and listen to our session, I hope they realize that we do have different qualities, different skill sets that together really help our organization move forward in a better way. And so that's why, you know, again, I was humbled to be asked, but I, I couldn't do as present as well if Sarah wasn't there presenting kind of what she works with on a daily basis in these, in these things. Well, we're thrilled to have you both. And that was great depth in your approach to this. We appreciate it. It's a diploma going on during the convention. It's called Modern Club Administration and Management. Scott Wollaston and Sarah Bridgens from NC Fusion will be leading two of the nine sessions. And Sarah, the first one is Creating Club Culture. That'll be Thursday, January 11th at 11 a.m. I'll read a little bit about it and then you can add on to it. It's everything you do in addition to everything you allow creates a culture in your organization. Take a strong look at getting your mission and values laser focused so that you can create long-term goals, set expectations for all your stakeholders, and evaluate the culture that you desire to create. Those are words. They mean a lot. Culture means a lot, Sarah, but kind of dive in on what you want to accomplish in this session. Any club or organization is made up of what? A lot of people. Okay, so uh, our goal um, as leaders in those organizations is to handle and deal with a lot of people and that can go really well or it can go really poorly. Um, and a lot of that starts with what you really care about, um, your mission, the things you're focused on um, and how you can direct and lead and collaborate with the people in the organization you're with. So um, we're gonna really tackle a big picture, maybe down to a small picture, but um, becoming laser focused on what matters um, and what your organization really cares about um, because you can make better decisions um, and come up with better ideas if you know what you're trying to accomplish. Um, if you don't know where you're going or where you're headed, um, you're you're going to be lost really quickly um, and you're going to make bad decisions. If we're honest, they're just going to be um, reactive and not proactive. Um, so we're really going to challenge uh, the group and the and the people in the room to, hey, do you know where you're going and what you're focused on? Um, and if you don't, that's step one. Um, and then from there, uh, how can we impact the people that we're around and we're with um, to get behind that, that same uh, mission, that, those same values um, and get after it? Uh, you got to be focused on the right things to be going in the right direction. And Scott, your add-on about this first session, creating club culture. Ultimately, it does come down to the people. And we talk a lot about having the right people in the right seats. That's not a fusion thing. We definitely want to make sure that the people that we have in our organization, our staff members, they fit our culture. They believe in our culture and they act it out on a, on a daily basis. 
but then you can have the right people, but you might not have them in the right seats. You have them in a place that they're doing things that they love doing and that they're best at. And I think in, in our youth soccer world, if you will, a lot of people get thrust into roles, into seats that there's a lot of things in that seat that they actually either don't want or they're just not really, that's not their skill set. And that usually leads to bad outcomes or difficult outcomes. So we're really focused on right people, right seats. And as Sarah said, we're going to do an exercise with the, with our, in our session, that's going to help people sort of look at their own organization and evaluate their own people, a couple people on their staff and say, do we have the right people? And then are they in the right seats? It should be really clarifying for some people. And I'm sure that others use something similar that we'll use, but I really hope it's it's helpful to the group. Well done. And then the other session, as I mentioned, will be Friday, January 12th, 9.15 a.m. as part of the United Soccer Coaches Convention in Anaheim, all under the auspices, the umbrella of the Modern Club Administrators and Management Diploma. And this one, Sarah Bridgens, is called Club Daily Strategic Planning and execution. Again, I'll read kind of what sets it up. It says, does your organization have a long-term plan? Do you struggle to make that plan come to life on a daily basis? We call that vision with no traction, which also is called delusion. Learn how to execute your plans on a daily basis in your organization. That's really well said. And I think that's very interesting, Sarah. Break down what you want to accomplish on that Friday in this session called Club Daily Strategic Planning and Execution. Yeah, so I'm going to give you a snapshot of what we experienced probably, what, 2020, four, three and a half years ago. Um, Our club set out to uh, create this 10-year strategic plan. It had all these layers and things that we wanted to accomplish over those the next 10 years. It was brilliant. We brought a lot of wonderful minds together. We had just big, massive plans. And we're like, man, if we can do this in 10 years, we are going to be incredible. Um, six months later, we went back to the checklist, maybe maybe even sooner than that. And we're like, mm-hmm. how much have we done on this 10-year strategic plan? And the answer was nothing, nothing. We were caught in the weeds. We were lost in the day-to-day. Um, we were like, we have this big, grandiose idea of what we could be, but we have no way to, to accomplish it and no accountability with it. So um, we have gotten involved with uh, EOS, which is an organizational system, which has challenged us in the day-to-day um, and really forced us to look at smaller um, sections of time and made it so that we actually can have traction in what we're going after. Um, So that 10-year goal, that three-year goal, that one-year goal doesn't look so intimidating anymore because you're looking in smaller windows. Um, And yeah, it's it's changed the game for for NC Fusion. Mm -hmm. Um, For me as a leader, for Scott as a leader, we've been really challenged, um, but in the best way to be held accountable for things. Um, We've got, you know, Scott's that visionary, that grandiose idea, hey, this is where we want to be in 10 years. Um, and it's really challenged me to say, okay, this is what we actually can do in one year, or this is what we actually can do in six months or say, yeah, we're going to get after that a whole lot faster than we thought we could. Um, but it's not possible if that system's not in place, if those processes aren't set up for yourself to accomplish. So, um, we learned the hard way, uh, but now we do have a little bit better knowledge in this space. Um, but we're still learning every day. And your add on Scott club daily strategic planning and execution. I really think the best way to explain that is an example that we'll share again at the at the convention, which is, you know, we, we had a three-year goal to increase participation in girls' sport, in our, in our programs, in girls' participation by 10%. 
that's a three-year goal. And I, I have found that you can set those goals. And then tomorrow, what do you do to move towards it? Usually nothing, right? I mean, it just, it's, it's this great goal, but it didn't have anything to do with today or tomorrow. It has to do with way out there. And so we set this goal of, of 10% participation increase. So then we backed it down to a one-year goal. And so a one-year goal was, well, one thing is that if we want more girls participating in sport, then we better have better, we need to have role models that look more like them. Well, we need more females on our staff. So Sarah set a one-year goal to hire, um, I believe it was four coaches this year, four female coaches on our staff um, with a plan to grow that continually every year. So that one-year goal was accomplished. We were able to hire four female staff members. And have we seen an increase yet? Not, not, not completely, a bit, but hopefully that is one thing that leads towards that three-year goal. If we didn't have that one-year goal in place, I don't know a year later that we'd be any closer to the three-year goal. You know, um, a second thing for that particular initiative was we said we needed to really um, do a better job of marketing about the value of sport, specifically team sports for girls. And so we created our marketing team, created a women in sports campaign, which you can see on our website. Sarah actually was the first person interviewed and it's um, really a, a female that speaks about their experience in youth soccer or youth sports in general and how it it's affected them today. So it's a letter to their former self. And um, if you watch it, it'll probably, probably make you tear up a bit. I know Sarah's did for me. And we have had several other, we have had two others interviewed on there as well that you can see. And uh, again, what's the final impact to that? We, we will, we're gonna continue to measure it over the next two years. Um, to see if we reach our goal of increase in participation. But I can honestly say we were very intentional about that three-year goal through smaller bite-sized pieces and initiatives. So we'll have new ones this coming year. We have our annual retreat coming up at the end of this month. We will look at our three-year goals. We'll create the next set of three-year goals and make sure that our next one-year goals are aligned with that. And I guarantee you there will be one or two more initiatives in this next year. They're going to lead towards that three-year goal of increasing participation in girls sports. So I, I use that as our example to show this is what we're talking about, about these strategic plans that if you don't dial them down to daily effort, it probably is just not going to happen. No doubt in my mind that Joe Cummings and United Soccer Coaches have picked the right people as part of this diploma that will be tied into the United Soccer Coaches Convention in Anaheim, January 10 through 14. Once again, the name of the diploma is called Modern Club Administration and Management. It'll break out into nine sessions, leading two of them, Scott Wollaston and Sarah Bridgens, the CEO and Chief Experience Officer, respectively, for NC Fusion. Creating Club Culture will be on Thursday. Club Daily Strategic Planning and Execution will be on Friday. Now it's time for what I call last sentence, and you only get one sentence. And we'll start with you, Scott, and then we'll end with Sarah. People should get involved and try to participate in this modern club administration and management diploma because it will be a great opportunity to share ideas and truly improve your organization same question for you sarah because when you improve everything else around you improves hmm. 
Well done. All right. Thank you so much for being on here. Quickly, Sarah, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they follow you or track you and Scott? Best way to contact me is through my email, sbridges at ncfusion.org. I'm also on LinkedIn. I think it's just Sarah H. Bridges. Reach out anytime. Same for you, Scott. Yeah, my email is swalliston, S-W-O-L-L-A-S-T-O-N at ncfusion.org. And I'm also on LinkedIn, Scott Wollaston. Thrilled that you're both going to participate. Big fan of NC Fusion, as you all know, and big fan that you're part of the Modern Club Administration and Management Diploma. Sarah, Scott, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Thank Thank you, you, Dean. When we return, we visit with Dr. Joe Macknick, who's headed in to the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame at the convention in Anaheim. As a soccer coach, you're no stranger to developing your players. But how are you developing your own expertise? As a United Soccer Coaches member, you receive access to a range of resources, like our online learning platform, The Training Ground, to aid in the growth and enhancement of your coaching skills and career. From coaching education courses to lifestyle services, take advantage of new opportunities and member benefits with an annual United Soccer Coaches membership for just $125. Join the home of all coaches today at unitedsoccercoaches.org. Back on October 26th, United Soccer Coaches announced the election of four individuals as the newest members of its Hall of Fame. All four will be inducted as members of the class of 2024 during the 84th annual United Soccer Coaches Convention, January 10 through 14 in Anaheim, California. One of those four, Lincoln Phillips, we spent time with last week on the podcast. Coming up down the road in the next couple of weeks will be Jill Ellis and April Heinrichs. Joining me now, the fourth member of the Hall of Fame class, Dr. Joe Macknick. Highly regarded for his contributions to the game in the United States, Dr. Macknick became a coach at his alma mater, Long Island University, in 1966, leading the team to an NCAA semifinal appearance. Following his time at LIU, he coached the men's and women's soccer teams at the University of New Haven, while also serving as the school's athletic director. Beginning in the 1970s, Dr. Joe Macknick was among the first coaches to focus on goalkeeping and instruction through the implementation of specialized camps, books, and videos. After his time in coaching, he headed both MISL and MLS officiating groups and instructed CONCACAF referees. As a Fox Sports Rules and Officiating Analyst, Dr. Joe Macknick has covered both men's and women's international play. He has served as the longtime director of the Walter Chiswitz Award Program and has been named to multiple halls of fame, including Long Island University, University of New Haven Athletic, Connecticut Soccer, and New England Soccer. In 2017, U.S. Soccer inducted Dr. Joe Macknick into the National Soccer Hall of Fame in the Builder category for his contributions to the game. And Dr. Joe Macknick, who I've known since my early days at U.S. Soccer, joins me now on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Good to be with you, Dr. Joe. Oh, thank you so much, Dean. It's a pleasure, really, and good to see you again. Uh, Really uh, happy. I mean... It's incredible where soccer right now has come, right, in America. We Both of us go back so many years. Even today, there was an announcement that the Division II Professional League is going to have a national TV contract. So, I mean, that's incredible. So I'm, I'm really happy that we've both been involved in soccer for as long as we have and have, uh, and have made our contributions in so many different ways. Well, that's so well said. I, as you remember, was an intern in college working under John Polis, 
who taught me the lays of the land and really sort of paved my career. And you were with Bob Gansler and Ralph Perez getting ready for the 1990 U.S. World Cup team. And so for somebody that was you know, relatively new to soccer, uh, because of people like you, Dr. Joe, I felt like I kind of walked in at the best time ever, right? And now it's even a better time ever, obviously. But that was a big tipping point back in the late 80s right there as you guys were scoring that goal with Paul Caligiuri. Yeah, for sure. And, and uh, I mean, there, were, there was even rumors that if we didn't qualify for 1990, if Paul hadn't scored that goal, if Tony Miola had not shut out Trinidad and Tobago, uh, in fact, he got four shutouts in a row, uh, that uh, FIFA would have taken the World Cup away from us in 1994. So there was real pressure. Um, we were um, not expected to win that game. Uh, Trinidad, all they needed was a tie. Uh, they were in a celebratory mood even before the game. They declared the next day a holiday. They thought they had a lock, and, and we managed that one nothing win. And you mentioned Paul. Uh, we're, we're actually going to honor Paul and that goal um, at the Chiswick ceremony at the convention um, this this coming uh, January, uh, as well as the goal scored by Brandy Chastain uh, to, you know, the penalty kick goal that she's most noted for. And you mentioned the Chiswick Fund, and behind me you can see uh, uh, into Miami Jersey signed by Messi, that will be available at our uh, silent auction that will be going on on, on, that, on that Saturday when we all get together to honor Walter Chisowitz's legacy. Wow, that's incredible. That is going to be worth a ton of money and obviously for a good cause. Is there somewhere people can go, Joe, online or anything to learn more about the Messi jersey as it relates to the Walter Chisowitz Fund and the award and everything else? We haven't announced officially, United Soccer and us haven't announced officially the winners uh, of the honorees. Uh, that's probably going to happen in the next 10 days. And in that press release will be mention of the jersey. And, and obviously now with this podcast and uh, next Monday, a representative from United Soccer Coaches is coming here to film an interview. And I'll also mention it so that it's... Uh, uh, known to everyone who's at the uh, Friday night function at the convention. That's perfect. We got all our bases covered then. You know, look, a lot has happened from when I first met you to 89 to now. You very astutely pointed out that uh, it's never been a better time for soccer. So thank you for that. But still to, you know, go into any Hall of Fame. And I just rattled off a bunch of Hall of Fames, Dr. Joe. When you got the call or the Zoom or whatever to say you're going into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame, can you put into words how that made you feel? Well, actually, you know, I was so surprised because Joe Cummings uh, organized the call for us to talk about our Walt Chiswitz function on Saturday. We had, you know, we're going to have to do some things with security and credentialing and stuff like that. So uh, it was totally by surprise that I, you know, I, that I was caught. And I was, you know, I almost cried because uh, I've been a member of the United Soccer Coaches, formerly National Soccer Coaches, of America for almost 60 years. And, and I went to my first convention in 1963 uh, because I made All-American at LIU in 1962 season. And they had a small dinner, lunch, I think it was even lunch, uh, at the Hotel Manhattan in New York City uh, with, a, with some of the first uh, 
coaches conventions were held. And back then, being there were only two, I had to correct myself, I said three originally, but only two vendors uh, that were showing their, uh, and it was uh, Max Doss with Soccer Sports Supply and Peter Green Limited, uh, who also uh, was uh, representing Admiral uh, Uniforms. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, so shortly thereafter, I became assistant coach at LIU. And so I became a member of the Coaches Association. And uh, one correction I have to make both in the press, I, I should have corrected the press release, but we actually made it to the final in 1966. My first year coaching as a head coach, we lost uh, to the University of San Francisco, uh, five to two. Uh, Lotha Hacienda was on that team, uh, as well as, I mean, they were fabulous. And the tournament, the tournament was played in Berkeley, California, and, and uh, it was a long way for us and a short trip for them. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, losing a national championship, I did it twice. I lost, <laughs> I lost in 66 with LIU and in 76 with New Haven. So uh, somebody told me I'm the only person that has played in the NCAA tournament, and I did so with LIU in 63 and coached in two NCAA finals and also refereed an NCAA Division I final, which I did in 1988 in Indiana against Howard. So I think that's, um, I don't know if anybody can do that in today's soccer. The vast array of soccer that you cover is is mind blowing, and and I want to get into that. But you know, first you just mentioned Indiana and Howard. You know, you're going in with Lincoln Phillips. Who? Oh, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Lincoln is Lincoln. Lincoln is so special. Um, we honored him with the Chiswick Award a couple of years ago in uh, in Baltimore, which was like his hometown. Uh, I played against Lincoln in the American Soccer League way back when. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, was a member of the coaching school staff that Walter put together and uh, traveled the country, uh, introducing soccer to so many different coaches. Uh, yeah, Lincoln and I go back so so many years. I'm so happy to be a part of the program with Lincoln. It's it's uh, really special, as yeah, well was... as Jill and April, of course. Well, yeah, Jill and April, especially now with the the women's game, it looks like they've you know got things together and the league is strong and uh, looks like a new coach is coming in and great time for both men and women, right, Doctor Joe? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we had the uh, on Fox, we had Women's World Cup that was recently played, and you know the games were broadcast here on the East Coast where I live, two thirty in the morning, four thirty in the morning, whatever. And and I I did them from home and be you know behind me. You can see I do a lot. Of, this is what's called a home cam. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Uh, and behind me over here is the backdrop that they light up. So I did I did that whole Women's World Cup, I think uh, 34 games I did <laughs> in the early morning hours. I wondered if you were there. So you did it right there in this room that uh, I'm seeing. Yeah. Obviously, this is a yeah. podcast yeah. so people can't see it. But let me tell you, folks, it's impressive. And including the messy jersey and all of the trophies and awards and it tells the story, I think, of the life of Dr. Joe Macknick, which has been one of, uh, you know, just greatness, uh, for lack of a better word. I knew because right when I came in, I started the U.S. Coach Newsletter. I started 
U.S. Referee Newsletter and U.S. Soccer Newswire. So I knew SC Bahamas and I knew that you were involved in refereeing, but I'm not sure everybody else knew, like when you were sitting on the bench in 1990 in Italy, how entrenched you were in the referee world. How did you make that crossover, Dr. Joe? And when did you make it where you were coaching and refereeing at a pretty high level? Yeah, when uh, I was a physical education major in college. And so, you know, you had to learn to referee a variety of sports. Of course, soccer was my sport. But I mean, I felt I could referee basketball, volleyball, even boxing, flag football, didn't matter. Um, and, and so I grew up in New York City, five subway stops from Madison Square Garden, the original. Uh, and, you know, I went to hockey games every Sunday and Wednesday night, and I focused on the referees primarily. And so when, it, when I moved to New Haven and our team was in a uh, jamboree, and the next day, a gentleman came to us and said, we need referees tomorrow in the state league. We're short. Uh, can, you know, I raised my hand. And so without without a test or a physical uh, fitness test or a rule book test, anything, I volunteered to referee. And that's how it all started. And so when indoor soccer started and Walter Chiswitz was hired as a consultant for the first indoor league, professional league, because I knew a little bit of hockey, and because the game was played in the indoor arena and there were going to be time penalties and all of those things, he, he hired me to become referee in chief. So I refereed, uh, I don't know, a couple hundred uh, major indoor soccer league games, including the first game, um, including the first several all-star games. And, uh, and what was really great for me the all-star game in Madison Square Garden where it all began. So it was kind of like, uh, you know, really fun. When I was working for Major Indoor Soccer League, there was real pressure on the outdoor referees not to do indoor um, because the two NASL and MISL were still fighting a little bit in conflict. And so we had to uh, hire full-time referees. So we started the first full-time referee program probably in the world. And and Gino DiPolito was one of those referees, maybe you, you, one of the more famous uh, names in refereeing in the country just recently passed. When Major Indoor Soccer League started uh, and in, after the first year, uh, Essie was a referee who worked both indoor. In fact, he did his first indoor game with me because we were doing two-man system back then. So, so uh, in the first year they were struggling Major League Soccer was struggling with the referee program, and they uh, asked me if I would come in and organize with U.S. Soccer, the officiating program for Major League Soccer, and I did so uh, for 15 years. Incredible. And then I've been in television now for 27 years, which is you know really what I wanted to do. And you know being with U.S. Soccer created the platform where it opened the door where I could do it with the Colorado Rapids. And you know along comes all this television. And they need smart people that understand the game and that, you know, are big time referees to break it down. And that was also transformational for you, right? Because you've now been doing that for quite some time. And I get the feeling you absolutely love it. I do. And, and actually, 10 years I've been doing it. And, you know, my first exposure was when, when Fox um, started FS1 and FS2. And then they've got a lot of soccer programming. And, and they were one of the first networks that brought a rules analyst into their NFL broadcast with Mike Pereira. Um, and so I uh, was asked to interview 
for that job. I did a screen test, the whole, the whole thing. Um, and so been fortunate enough to do two women's World Cups, two men's World Cups, where I, I went both to Russia and Qatar, Women's World Cup in Canada, this Women's World Cup here I did from home. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to next summer, actually, when Fox has both uh, the Copa America, which is going to be played in the United States, and the Euro, uh, which is at the same time. So we'll have the Euro in the morning and the Copa at night. I don't think I'll be asked to do both, but maybe Mark Clattenburg will get the, the Euro and I'll get the Copa. We'll see. You know, I, I hope I've got my fingers crossed. We're here with Dr. Joe Macknick, one of four illustrious human beings that are headed into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame. It'll be at the convention in Anaheim. And Dr. Joe, I know you like to make it to the convention when you can. And I imagine a lot of family are coming. You know, one of my big questions is, you know, there's only, I think, 10 seats around that table. That's a big decision on who who gets to sit with the people that are going in the Hall of Fame. Have you have you already finalized that table, Dr. Joe? Uh, we, we actually have it. We're going to run a lottery. We have to pick the names <laughs> out of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, uh, it's it's uh, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be really special. I've been inducted to a few Hall of Fames, as you mentioned. Um, been very fortunate, um, but this one is very special um, because, because um, you know, the Coaches Association does so much, Co the education of coaches. Um, and, you know, way back, Dean, even before you were involved uh, in, in, in uh, soccer with the Coaches Association, I was doing the goalkeeping lessons at the convention uh, before uh, in the ballroom of hotels uh, before they, you know, before the convention was at convention centers where they were able to put down field turf and, and real goals and stuff. And so, I mean, I can remember in the uh, Benjamin Franklin Hotel in Philadelphia diving on the rug and, and uh, you know, we did a breakaway lesson. I was taking people out and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, it was nuts. And uh, we would get a tremendous crowd because back then, Goalkeeping education was just coming along. There wasn't a lot uh, available. You know, if you could find a book about it, it written in a foreign language, you look at the pictures and try to figure it out. So, uh, yeah, I was uh, certainly one of the first to start it. And so many others have really done a good job afterwards now that, uh, you know, goalkeepers are uh, one of the really strong parts of American soccer. What about your family, though, Dr. Joe? Like, how many people of your family will be out there in Anaheim? I have an immediate family of uh, two daughters and two grandchildren and two great-grandchildren. <laughs> so so uh, some of them will be able to come, some may not. And we'll have probably another table with friends and guests, especially those that are involved in the Chiswitz Fund. When I got inducted to the National Soccer Hall of Fame, it was in Orlando, which was a lot closer on uh, being on the East Coast and whatever. So I actually had six tables. It, it cost me uh, a fortune. Uh, and uh, it was like a small wedding without gifts. So, so it was like, uh, yeah, lots of fun, though. Two more questions for Dr. Joe Macknick, who is one of four headed into the Hall of Fame. We had Lincoln Phillips last week. Dr. Joe this week. Coming up in the next two weeks will be Joe Ellis and April Heinrichs. I... I do want to go back to 1990 because last year's convention, 
I had to introduce Ralph Perez and Ralph has made sure everybody in the world knows that he was on the bench in 1990. I don't think you have. And yet I think that is also a pinnacle moment. What do you remember about that? You know, you know, 40 years it had been Dr. Joe and Bob Gansler can pick anybody and he picked you and Ralph Perez, right? You were the two main coaches, correct? That's, that's, that's. Yeah, it, it, thank you, Dean. Uh, actually, it was just Bob and I in the qualification uh, phase. Uh, the Federation, you know, back then had very little money, so they, they didn't have the budget to add a third coach. When we qualified, then they added Ralph, and, you know, that was a really good thing for us uh, because he brought so much to the, you know, to the whole scheme. Uh, but um, we were very, it was a very low-budget operation qualifying. I mean, back then, Dean, we played so many of our home games at St. Louis Soccer Park. And if we got 3,500 people for a World Cup qualifier, that was huge. I was there. Yeah. 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 So, 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 um, you know, it was, it was a whole lot different. Uh, it was a whole lot different. I don't want to tell you that I got paid a hundred dollars a day <laughs> back then. And, uh, yeah, and in the, uh, in the year of 1989, 90, I was away 190 days. So, that was that was um, it, it was a lot, but absolutely worthwhile. And and you know before that, what uh, really a lot of people forget about Dean. I don't want to keep you, but just before that, uh, John Kowalski asked me to be the assistant coach for the five-a-side team, uh, and we went uh, to Holland. We qualified for the first World Cup of five-a-side, and we won the bronze medal. Uh, and in the process, we we beat Italy, we beat Paraguay, we beat Argentina, Brazil, uh, Belgium in the third place game. We the only game we lost was to Holland in Holland, and and uh, they won the tournament. So that and on that team were eight or ten members of the 1990 World Cup team that just transitioned. So that was, I think, part of what Bob uh, and Walter Schizowitz, who was technical advisor. You know, we saw, you know, what we did with the five-a-side. And then, you know, John also was coaching like the USB team at that time and youth teams, John Kowalski. So uh, John and I have a long history going back to when I recruited him as a high school student to play at the University of New Haven. Well, yeah, incredible. And if you remember the transfer before Bora, John Kowalski kind of filled in as the interim. So I spent a little bit of time with him and, I also spent time, I was the press officer that 90 team with Lothar, um, although Lothar was the only guy that wasn't nice to me. All, everybody else was nice to me except Lothar, by the way. <laughs> well, you know, and, and people forget about Lothar, but without Lothar, I'm not sure we would have made it because Lothar, Lothar prepared the team from like 88, early 88. He had the Olympic team. He began to teach the players how to win. You know, and, and they did so much uh, identifying the players who later played in 1990. And I, I've been pushing for Lothar to be inducted into the National Soccer Hall of Fame. Hopefully the next time the coaching category comes around, he gets that uh, opportunity. But people forget about Lothar. He had a major contribution to U.S. soccer. I don't know why he wasn't nice to you. <laughs> Um, but, but he was hanging around but, Colin Lindoris, you know, those two guys together, you know what I mean? I was just a young, young kid, you know what I mean? Still, in Well, college. we didn't, back then we didn't know how to deal with media either. So, <laughs> you know, we didn't know, we didn't know how to massage you guys. 
Well, and I, I was just jesting. It's one of the jokes that uh, Ralph and I have kind of kept going that that Lothar was, uh, you know, uh, always gave me a hard time. But, you know, obviously I I got to know you well and got to know Bob Ganser really well. And I think all of those people, you know, changed my life in such a positive way. You know, we'll end with this. And it's just kind of a fill in the blank, Dr. Joe. This conversation has been so enlightening and your stories are so great. I can't wait for your speech. And, you know, I'll be up there as the co MC. I think it's my 13th year. So looking forward to that. So to, you know, you be there. You do a great job, um, Dean. You thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. But, um, you know, I'll just have you fill in the blank. You know, look, you are going into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame, formerly NSCAA. And if you could just put into, you know, one or two sentences how that makes you feel, uh, that's how we'll end it, Dr. Joe. Well, it's, it's a, actually, culmination, I think, of, you know, more than 60 years uh, of, of soccer. I, when I, I first became serious about the game in high school, and so, I mean, it's just, um, I don't know, it's, you got to be lucky, I guess. You got to be at the right place at the right time. You got to do what you say you're going to do. I think that's really, really important. And, you know, people had confidence in me because when I said I was going to get something done, I got it done. Um, and I think that's um, that's what that's what I'm most proud of as part of my contribution. So it's it's indeed an honor. And, and I'm so thankful to the selection committee to be uh, a Hall of Famer at this year's convention. Well, I think I speak for everybody that knows you even just a little bit. You also are one of the most genuine human beings that I've ever come across. And I think that also is part of what you've done to accumulate all this incredible success and accolades. And, and they're probably going to keep on coming because you're going to keep on being that genuine, great person. Congratulations, Dr. Joe Magnick. I was so looking forward to this interview, and I can't wait to see you in Anaheim when you go into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame. Thank you, Dean. Really, really appreciate it. We are not done. Our final interviews with Jonathan Morgan, the associate head coach of the Tennessee women's soccer team. Jonathan Morgan on the bounce. Does it feel like all you're doing to manage your team, club, or league is busy work? If so, League Apps can help you get back to doing what you love, delivering a powerful yet simple youth sports management platform from robust registration and payment tools to automated communications and other software integrations. League Apps saves you time and headaches. Less busy work, more time doing what you love. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Great to spend time in our last segment with one of the four inductees into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame, Dr. Joe Macknake. Well, now switch to women's soccer, Division One style. The 64-team field has been announced, and in from the SEC is the Tennessee Volunteers. The Lady Vols will play Xavier this weekend in their opening round game, and we're pleased to be joined by Jonathan Morgan, who is in his eighth season with the Tennessee women's soccer program and is second in the role of associate head coach. The Dover, Delaware native arrived on Rocky Top in January of 2016 following a nine-year stint at the University of Maryland. And as we will soon learn, he has crossed paths with some of the top level women's players this country has offered and some of the top level coaches as well. And with that, we welcome 
Jonathan Morgan to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Jonathan, great to have you on. Dean, thank you for having me. Your story is amazing. I mean, you played, but you know, you coach Carly Lloyd, you're at Ohio State, you're at Rutgers, you're at Maryland, you're in club soccer, head coach at Maryland. Now you found a great little spot as associate head coach. You'll probably be a head coach again, but I'd really like you to kind of tell your story, Jonathan. Start from, you know, where you grew up and where you were born and where you went to college and when you got the coaching bug and kind of track it for me. Can you do that? My stepdad was an athletic trainer at Delaware State University, Delaware State College at the time in Dover, Delaware. It's where I grew up. Very early on, I was around collegiate athletics. He was an athletic trainer, HBC, didn't have a lot of resources. So he was covering football, basketball, baseball, every sport that the school had, he pretty much was the guy that had to be there. I think at the time he was working with 12 to 14 sports with four student athletic trainers. And so his days were spent on that campus, which meant me as a young kid, young person, my days were spent on that campus. I was inundated with all kinds of sports and college athletics. And, you know, as a kid, that's just what you do. Lo and behold, it's kind of where my passion for college athletics probably started was back when I was a, a middle schooler and early in high school, just being on that campus at Delaware State. Played club soccer like everyone else. Delaware, not a power in terms of youth soccer, but fortunately, I got to play on a pretty good team called the Woodsman FC and guys like Stanley Brunson and Rob Smith, who played for uh, Columbus Crew and Thad McBride. A lot of really good players and guys that played at MLS. And I think my coaching might have started then with Coach Dean. His name was uh, Roger Dean. We used to call him Coach Dean. And he was an African-American, um, didn't really have much of a soccer background, but he was a powerful motivator, really drew all of us in. And he was, you know, this was a team back in the early, late 80s. And we had five, six African-American kids on our team. We had three or four Asian players that were on our team. Like we, we were a hodgepodge of kind of kids from different backgrounds and different uh, makeups. And so Mr. Dean was just a cool guy and really limited, maybe not on knowledge of soccer, but he, he got us passionate about the game and uh, competing. And, you know, as I think all of us were getting older on that team, you know, he was like, you guys need to coach too. If you want to really know how to play, you need to go coach. And so he encouraged all of us to go coach younger teams. And I guess that kind of got my foot in the door in terms of coaching. And so I took over a local team that was in my town at a U-12 age group. That was my first coaching experience was a U-12 team in CDSA soccer club. Went on to win a state cup championship my senior year of high school. And so that's where coaching kind of started for me. I went to college at Rowan College in New Jersey, just outside of Philadelphia. Played for Dan Gilmore, who's one of the winningest coaches in college soccer. Crazy, intense guy, passionate guy. Uh, winning mattered to him. Working your tail off mattered to him. Rolling up your sleeves mattered to him. The way we played the game was important, but how you competed was probably the most important uh, for Coach Gilmore. And so a completely different experience from Coach Dean, who was about the passion and love of the game. Coach Gilmore was a guy that was like, you got to be hard. You got to compete. It's about winning games in college soccer. And so played at Rowan, won a lot of games there. I think uh, at the end of the day, my career as a, as a player might have lost, I think, nine games in total. And then as a coach, we went undefeated until the NCAA tournament. And so had a pretty good experience there. Um, coach, I guess, saw something in me as well. And so, you know, he too kind of pushed me in the, the club scene and uh, coach also had a big, had a big camp um, 
I guess summer camp kind of circuit thing that he did. And my my sophomore year, he had put me in 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 uh, in charge of that. And so we were going all over South Jersey, thirty different clubs, um, running summer camps day in, the morning, afternoon, and in the in the evening. And so all of a sudden I know all I'm doing is coaching and playing soccer. And so not by design, just kind of people are saying, you're pretty good at this. Why don't you need you to coach this team? I need you to coach this club. Can you do a private lesson here? Can you, uh, you know, come do this camp? And to me in the twenties at that point, it was like, it's soccer. It's easy. It's money. It's, you know, doing something that I love. Sure. I'll do it. But I was still just a college kid and didn't know what I really wanted to do. I finished my playing career, but I still had another year of college and coach was like, well, why don't you come on and be a student assistant coach and, and, you know, help us out. And so I took on that first year and I, I really did enjoy it. The team went undefeated. Like I said, um, ended up losing in the NCAA tournament, but it was, a, it was a really really cool experience for me. And I, I liked that side of it. I liked understanding what goes into the team, what goes into building a team, um, the management of a team on the daily basis. I, I really enjoyed that. But even then I was still like, I'm going to take on a professional career when I graduate here and, and, and take on with my life. Moving forward, I finished college. I uh, took a job as a private investigator for a company out of Chicago. It's called Infoto Surveillance. It was the largest investigative company uh, in the world at that time. And I thought that would be really cool following people and uh, videotaping them and catching them doing things that they're probably not supposed to be doing. And it was it had a certain level of excitement and uh, adrenaline that came with it. But there was also a level of boredom because when you're investigating people you're you're sitting in vans and you're sitting in cars and you're waiting for people to come out so that you can follow them and you know I quickly realized that's probably not what I want to do with my life it wasn't as attractive and as as sexy as you see on television it was it was, it was a lot of long hours doing nothing just waiting for somebody and I was struggling with that and then actually a good buddy of mine one of my college uh, teammates he was coaching some club in, in New Jersey and he's like, Hey, you got a free weekend. I need some help up here to coach this clinic. Somerset uh, County select. Can you come up and help? And one weekend I was free and I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to come up and help. And it was a Saturday, Sunday deal. It was eight hours a day, just working with literally from eight year olds to uh, 18 year olds um, and just training, doing training sessions. And I loved it. I loved it. And I was like, this is what, this is what I've done for so long. This is what I enjoy. I'm done with this investigative stuff. I'm yeah. out of it. And at the time, again, Dean, it was 1997, $25 an hour cash. So I'm like, this is great. You know, like put in hours, just coaching kids and I'm getting all this cash. So I'm done with investigative job. That's kind of where the real, I guess, my coaching journey really kind of began was was that weekend in Somerset County, New Jersey, working with those kids from 18 to 18 years old. I think that was that was where it started. When it started, it took off. And I mean, listen, I can't let you be humble here. I mean, you coached Heather O'Reilly, Jill Lloyden. You went to Rutgers. You coached Carly Lloyd. Then you went to Ohio State. Right. I mean, that's you were kind of on a fast track right away coaching big time players. 
this is what's crazy about life, right? Like you just, it's all about who you meet, right? And you, you stumble into to really great people and really great people want to take care of you and give you opportunity. I went to North Jersey, Somerset and Morris County, New Jersey, working with a guy named Alan Jeffers, Russell Farr, who was the guy, my, my teammate who brought me up, um, was working for this company called Soccer Excellence. And that was, that was with, uh, with Alan Jeffers. Next thing I know, I'm coaching probably 30 hours a week. I'm working with four to five-year-olds. I'm working with 18-year-old team. It's such a competitive environment. And there was a lot of guys that were my age and everyone was just trying to win games and, and build teams. And, you know, next thing I know, I've got a pretty decent club team. And um, we meet a guy, Russell and I, we met a guy named Mike O'Neill, which I think you're familiar with. Um <laughs> And Mike was doing the same thing, same kind of hustle. And he was like, you guys, like, let's put together a business ourselves. Like, we'll call it, you know, I think we were called USA Premier, but like, let's put together our own business. We'll train teams, we'll, we'll train clubs, and we'll build some state cup championship teams. And that's just kind of where it started. And we just met Mike in the business, right? We just crossed paths. And then next thing you know, we're in business together, and then we're coaching teams, MC Dynamo with Jess Balwig and Sue Flamini. We were coaching another club, FC United, and all of these really good players just started coming across our way. It was very, it was kind of accidental. We just started working with some really good kids. And then all of us kind of started winning state cups, building really good teams. And then this guy, Tom Anderson comes along, president of the PDA. Tom's like, I want to build a club. I've got this team, Tobin Heath's on this team. I want to create this environment for elite players and who are the best coaches. So he finds Mike O'Neill and says, all right, I want you to be my director of coaching. So of course, Mike says, well, I've got some good guys too. Let's, let's bring them along as well. Let's bring these guys in. Let's get all of the top players that we can, we can get and let's create this environment so that players can really truly develop. We're going to run this club. We got to learn how this club is going to, how it should work. So Let's do this. Let's go to Holland. We'll go for eight to 10 days. We'll take a coaching course and we'll visit different clubs. And we're going to see how we want to run this club called PDA, which was pretty cool. The coaches in that group were myself, Mike O'Neill, Davey Nolan, so Georgetown, Charlie Namo, Sam Nellens, and then Russ Farr, and just an amazing group of coaches. And we were there for 10 days and uh, man, the, the amount that I learned on that trip was amazing. Learned how much we don't know as coaches, learned a lot about the game. And I think all of us just got juiced when we came back to take that experience. Next thing you know, we're bringing back what we learned over in Holland with our teams and all of our teams just start crushing it. We're killing New Jersey in terms of uh, winning state cups, going to regionals, going to nationals. All of our teams are doing great. In that whole growth of PDA, another guy comes along, his name is Glenn Crooks. Mm -hmm. And Glenn Crooks gets named as the head coach at Rutgers. And so Glenn, looking for an assistant coach, go, who does he go to? He goes to Mike O'Neill, who is running, he's probably one of the most popular names in New Jersey, but he's also running the biggest, one of the best clubs in the country. And so Glenn brings on Mike. Shortly after, as a volunteer, I got the opportunity to go to, to Rutgers as well. Glenn was coaching a club team at PDA, the Stampede, and uh, with Nikki, we had Nikki Krizik, we had a little bit of Yael Averbush, some pretty good players. 
And then I was coaching another team in PDA with uh, Chelsea uh, Regan and Casey Richards and Brittany Steinbrook and all of these kids that went on to be college All-Americans and youth national team players. And so Glenn was like, hey, do you want this opportunity? We need a volunteer assistant. Why don't you come on, come on board and uh, be our volunteer? And I was like, absolutely. This is great. And one thing that I always say is Glenn Crooks, man, that guy really lifted my career because I got to Rutgers and Glenn's like, you're not a volunteer, you're a coach. And I'm not here to have you just lay down cones. I'm here to have you coach. And I didn't realize how big she was at the time, but Mike was working with the backs. Glenn was working with the, the attacking players, the forwards. And then I got to work with the midfielders. Well, who's in that group? Well, you know, some really good players in Michelle McNamara and Shannon Evans, but there's this one really elite kid and her name is Carly Lloyd. That was a lot of fun. It was a lot of, it was intimidating in a lot of ways because Carly had obviously played at a high level. She was an elite player. She was our best player. And she was also a challenging personality because she wanted to be challenged every day as her, I guess, position coaches say, I had to bring something every day that was going to challenge her. That's where Rutgers got started the opportunity to work with Carly Lloyd. And, you know, to this day, I've not seen a player strike a ball as well as, as her left or right foot. I have not seen a player with her want and passion to win. That's something that she's just wired completely different than any other player that I've come across. With that, you deal with some personality sometimes, but, you know, it's all about winning to her and that's all that mattered. And she started the build for Rockers into what they are today. Now, when Ohio State called, what made you think that that was time to leave all of that you had there? You know, you had the PDA, you had Rutgers, you had Carly Lloyd. Talk about the move to the Buckeyes. Well, I'd spent three years at Rutgers and I was literally, I was still working at PDA. I was doing some club coaching on the side as well. And I thought it was just time to like put my focus and my energy towards you know, either I'm going to do club or I'm going to do college. I had the opportunity in one of my coaching courses to meet a guy named John Lipsitz, who you're probably familiar with. Yeah. Um, and John invited me to some camps at Ohio State. And I said, sure, I'll go. And I worked a couple of soccer camps out at Ohio State and developed a relationship with uh, Lori Walker. And when John left to take the the head coaching job at Charlotte, Lori asked me if I wanted to come on and be their, be their second assistant. Um, Greg Miller was there already. Obviously, we created a good relationship. She liked what I had done at the camps, and she she offered me this opportunity to go to Ohio State. And it was a pretty easy one for me. Like it was what I wanted to do. I wanted to work with college players. They had just come off an Elite Eight experience, and Lori was, you know, Lori's a she's a pretty big time coach. So I wanted this opportunity, and that was an easy one for me to take. Probably. One of, I'd say the top three players I ever coached is Laura Dickenman. You remember that name? Um, yeah, big time player. Yep. She was phenomenal. In terms of every part of the game, she was probably the most complete player that I've ever coached. And it was a really amazing experience to be at Ohio State. I was there for two seasons, learned a lot. Really appreciative of Lori Walker because in my world, soccer was only about coaching and the administrative side of it, um, the things that go on behind the scenes, I didn't really have a lot of that at Rutgers. And so Lori, you know, obviously my experience there, she opened that up. Um, she was tough. She was really firm. 
challenged me every day. A lot of days I hated it. A lot of days I couldn't stand uh, the pressure she was putting on me, but I'm super appreciative to this day of all of that pressure Lori had put on me and challenging me to, to be better and challenged me to be more organized and challenging me to think deeper. Really appreciative of that opportunity. And I think sometimes when you're in it and you're being challenged, it's easy to to shut down or to ask questions. Does she like me? Does she think I'm any good? Am I any good? At the end of the day, that person is pushing you because they love you and because they want want you to be better. Um, and it was hard for me to see it at that time, but really appreciative of that experience. So I spent two years there. And then over the years, I'd started developing a relationship with Brian Penske. And I had been away from home for a number of years. And now I was out in Columbus and Brian one day, literally, was we had lost the quarterfinal Big Ten game against Purdue. And as we're walking uh, to the bus, my phone rang and it was Brian. And Brian asked me, hey, man, would you like to get back east, coach in the ACC and help me build this thing here at Maryland? I was like, let me think about it. And then I said, yeah, absolutely. I'm ready to go. I wanted, you know, I wanted to get back home closer to my family and you know, the opportunity in the ACC was really intriguing. And I was like, yeah, let's, let's, let's do this. And so next thing you know, I'm at, I'm at Maryland. You're at Maryland. And just like everywhere else, you also continued to dabble a little bit in the youth game. And that's where you, you know, look, you've already talked about Carly Lloyd, the superstar for Ohio state and so many others. And now you come across Andy Sullivan and, I understand that was a pretty good experience for you as well. Andy's right. So I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of youth national team kids, full national team kids, our country, you know, Bunny Shaw, Jamaica, like Andy Sullivan's probably the most impressive because Andy works her tail off. She's not the most blessed athletically, but she's a good, she's a good athlete. Um, she's not the most technical player, but she's, she's pretty damn good. Um, what I love about Andy is she admires the qualities of other players games and she would look in her club team, you know, Zoe Park and Tyler Lucy is down at Carolina courage and just like, I wish I could hit the ball like Tyler. And then she would work her tail off. She's like, Zoe is so skillful. Her first touch is amazing. How do I get a touch like that? And then she would work at it and then she'd work on her defending and like, I love the fact that she always admired the strengths of and qualities of her teammates and, you know, never, never looked down at those qualities. And she wanted, she looked at her own game and said, that's what I got to get better at. And it didn't matter whether they were a national team player or whether they were just, you know, on the club team. And so she's pretty special. She's pretty special and your career has been special. And I find myself kind of wanting to go back to, coach Dean, not because my name's Dean, but because, you know, early doors here you are as a young black man. And even though you said he didn't know maybe everything about soccer to be able to be coached by somebody that looked like you probably was big, probably was a, a big moment in you pushing on. I don't, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I feel like, like my experience is so different than so many other of my, my peers, colleagues, and 
you know, my wife always teases me because I grew up in a community in Dover, Delaware, where my high school was 50% white, 50% black, and every kind of demographic was represented in their social demographic. And so that's kind of all I knew, right? That's what I, that's what I experienced. And with coach Dean, again, like I said, we had six, seven African-American players, three Asian-American players, like that's just kind of what my life was. And I was pretty inspired by that. I think, unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of maybe my teammates or some, some friends didn't have that same experience and build that same passion the way I was able to build it. I will say when I got to college, I was, I was a bit culture shocked because I went from being communities where I was one of many to, wow, I'm the only one now. And so definitely a bit of culture shock in college. And then as you grow up in life, but I think having that, that mentor, having that coach who just is a guy that you looked at every day and you're just like, I, I love coach Dean. Like I love coach Dean and, you know, I hang on every word that coach Dean has and give me an opportunity. So now, Jonathan, in addition to coach Dean, I also know that you had a lot of pride and respect for your high school coach as well. Dwayne Henry, he was your track coach as well. And I know that you wanted to make sure that we recognized him. And it just seemed like kind of the good fortune of great people like Coach Dean, Coach Henry, and others kept on rolling for you, right? Just kind of a fortunate experience for me. And, you know, again, I, I have been fortunate over the years. While I was at the University of Maryland, I worked at the, as a soccer club. And again, I'm in a community where there's, I'm not the only one. There's a, there's a number of African-Americans Caribbean coaches working in the DC area, you know, that look like me. And I've always kind of felt like I'm just blending in with, with people that look like me. Not everyone, I think in our coaching community has had that kind of experience, you know, and, and you probably know this name, you work in the DC area, you're like you're working with Clyde Watson, you're working with Ellis Pierre, you're working with Brent Leba, you've got relationships with Cap Hakeem, like there's just, and that list just Philip Jow, that list just goes on and on of guys that look like you and have the same passion as you and everyone's got a different story but you you're just you know you're in a comfortable place and you're like this is what we do the black soccer coaches community under the direction of nicole hercules i think has never had more momentum you know never been more positive it's actually great though to hear that all along your journey you have had representation you have seen people that you know you can model yourself after it that's exciting to hear jonathan because not everybody's had that and you know one of the things that we uh definitely want to do and i i want to do as a, an ally to the black soccer coaches community is to create a platform for more black coaches to get out there at all levels you know college pro you name it and you know my final question is have you been able to see the progress that they're making, you know, with Nicole Hercules and now Andrew Richardson and Maya Hayes and Coach Harper and incredible people that are coming together. That community and that that platform to connect coaches, I think, might have been the most powerful experience all of us have had. And, you know, in, in order, the opportunity for all of us to to communicate, meet some faces that we haven't we haven't seen before. Um, and then just being able to network, uh, the connection that happened from that was, I can't tell you how powerful that was. And so, and now taking it into, you know, the black coaches, it's just, it's just 
the groundswell of that is just blowing up. And I love seeing there's a lot of young coaches that are out there right now that are um, getting opportunity. And um, it's great to see our community, similar to Coach Dean with me, our community is what's helping create opportunities for younger coaches. And, you know, there's absolutely a groundswell. There's there's still a lot of work to do, but the leadership that's in place right now is 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 fabulous. The passion of that leadership, the ideas and where we want to go is like it's it's obviously it's something that we've never had before. And um it's proud to be a proud to be a part of that. That's certainly a nice take on the progress that they're continuing to make. And, you know, one of the things as I think about your career, you have, to me, it seems like always done a good job of working with any kind of coach. Like it didn't really matter the color of their skin or anything else. Does that mean that you've had, you know, a little better situation as it relates to race or how would you break that down? I think so. And I'll, you know, I've, I certainly had my experiences and challenges for sure, even growing up in my town. But like my wife says, it's you grew up in an after school special. Um, it's not it's not it's not reality. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think when you are in a community where a lot of people are, um, there's a lot of interaction, and a lot of um, uh, I don't know the right word here, but just people are living with each other, next door neighbors. And I think you tend to just think less of it, right? You just kind of, this is my day to day. This is just, that's, you know, that's Mr. Ridgeway. That's Mr. Green. This is, you know, like, that's just, that's just all, you know, right? Like all of us, all we know is the experiences that we've had. And so, um, yeah, I probably, my perspective is probably a lot different than than many others. But I know you're proud of of what the Black Soccer Coaches community is building, right? Absolutely. We still need representation, right? We still need opportunity. And and to have a group that is sole purpose is to help elevate and and to take people like myself, Kadani, you know, Kadani's story, right? He's coming from the South, right? That's completely different and interesting and, and inspiring story. Um, Eric Bell, who's come out of, you know, Akron, Ohio, from a urban community, like bringing all these, these different experiences and backgrounds together because we're not just one kind of person, right? Like we, we represent a lot of different, a lot of different uh, things, a lot of different backgrounds and everyone needs to feel like there's somebody there that gets them. Right. And even within our own within our own community, um, we're all different. You know, we're all different. We all have different experiences. And, you know, the outside world wants to say that we're all this and we're all that we're, we're the same. We're not. You know, we're, we're very different. And so having an organization that allows all of these different backgrounds um, to kind of come together and be the voice in one kind of one kind of soul direction, I think is and it's pretty phenomenal, you know, and I think sometimes it's hard for uh, it's hard for people outside of this community to understand what it's really what it's really about. But it's really connecting all of us so that we feel like, you know, we're all we all have the same opportunities as as, as our counterparts and our colleagues. I love it. Tennessee is going to play Xavier in the NCAA tournament. If they win that game, they'll play the winner of South Dakota State and 
Nebraska. Final question. We have 60 seconds left here, Jonathan Morgan. Your career has been fascinating. You've settled in now as the associate head coach. You were a head coach before. Do you still have aspirations to be a head coach? I do. Obviously, it has to be it has to be what's the right fit for me and my family and place that I feel like with how I see the game and how I want to play the game. It's a place that I can do that and be successful. Tennessee has been fantastic for me. They, you know, they, they took a coach who had just lost, uh, you know, a head coaching job and, and took a chance on me. And so I'm really appreciative of what the university has done for me. And when it's right, We'll see. We'll move on. If it's if it doesn't come, that's okay too. I, I love being here. Fall Nation is is something pretty special. So if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, I'm I'm happy with where I am. All right. Well, hopefully you can enjoy wherever you are, including Tennessee, with your wife Emily and your new daughter Greer. Congratulations on your daughter Greer, by the way. That's good news too, Coach. Yeah, Dean. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate this opportunity. It's really cool. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too, Jonathan Morgan, and certainly enjoyed all of our guests. I obviously enjoy working with Bailey Conklin and the great people at United Soccer Coaches. Love working with my producer, Colin Thrash, and love being with you, the members of United Soccer Coaches. In fact, for each and every one of you, I'm Dean Linky. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by Lee Gaps. Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Lee Gaps. Lee Gaps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about Lee Gaps, find them at leagueapps.com or as Lee Gaps on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.